as uh, was read uh, today, identify, or Jesus identifies himself as the great shepherd of the Old Testament. And he is the one, Jesus is the one that David talks about in Psalm 23. Uh, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And the Lord leads me beside still waters. The Lord restores my soul. Now, we, we need to consider the fact that if the Lord is our shepherd, then we are one of his sheep. And uh, that's not a compliment. <laughs> it's, uh, there you go. Uh, sheep are not very bright animals. Uh, they cannot care for themselves. You know, our Lord doesn't say, I am the horse trainer and you are the horse. Uh, horses without a trainer go wild, but sheep without a shepherd, on the other hand, will end up dying. Uh, there's never been a herd of wild sheep. Uh, sheep need a shepherd for absolutely everything. Now, let me make the transfer here, because everyone, every one of us in this room is looking for a shepherd that will make him or her a priority. You know, some of us got married believing consciously or unconsciously that this person that I am marrying is going to really, really come through for me. All of my needs, all of my desires, all of my expectations are going to be fulfilled. Now, my dear wife, of 47 years now, had lots of expectations about what being married to me was going to be like. In other words, I would satisfy her every desire, provide a nonstop thrill ride of emotional <laughs> intimacy, uh, emotional intimacy, personal affirmation, and physical ecstasy. And it's worked out pretty well for her, actually. <laughs> Uh, not exactly, you know, I tell you, <laughs> you know, I had a long way to go to become a loving husband, and she discovered actually on her honeymoon, uh, on her honeymoon that uh, I can't be her shepherd. You see, if you look at a shepherd, or if you look for a shepherd in a person, you're always going to remain frustrated. Marital love, parental love, child love, friendship love is always going to come up a measure short. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I want you to enter into my fold. And what, uh, it's a long scripture today, but there's a lot of implications in it, and I'll share a few of them with you. But it shows us why Christ is qualified to be your shepherd and my shepherd, and it's simply because he alone loves you or knows you completely and loves you fully. And those are the two major points I want to talk about today. He loves you completely. That's the first one. Again, in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And those of you who are in the helping professions uh, understand the, the great dilemma of the human condition. We all want to be known, but we really don't want to be completely known. Uh, I want you to know about my strengths, but I, I don't really want you to know about the polluted underbelly that uh, comes with it at times. You know, there was a play written by 
the French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre. And it illust- it's called No Exit, and it illustrates the latter of not wanting to be known. And Sartre gives his own vision of hell. He, you know, he, has these, he says, hell is the two women, and he gives his vision of it. Two women and one man are doomed to perdition, and they enter into a room, and they're sentenced to stay together in that room uh, forever without sleep. Now, all three enter with pretensions about their past. For instance, the man pretends that he was a hero of the revolution, when in reality he was killed in a train wreck when he was trying to escape after betraying his own comrades. The women had even more sordid lives, but into this kind of forced intimacy of this room that they were in, all of the evil, all of the pollution begins to spill out of their lives. Nothing can be hidden. Nothing can be changed. And the moral of the play is simply the line of doom to which the drama moves. He says, you are yourself and nothing else. So to Sartre, hell is simply nakedness. Having my innermost being being pierced so as to reveal the ugliness of my thoughts, motives, and intentions. So on one hand... None of us want to be fully known, Uh, and our own lack of virtue is exposed, and it's humiliating. You know, we want to hide sometimes. In everyone, there's something that prevents you from being transparent to yourself and to others. And then he adds, but but he who cannot reveal himself cannot love, and he who cannot love is the most unhappy, excuse me, is the most unhappy of all. And so the human dilemma is that we're afraid of being known through and through, and yet we want to be known. And it kind of explains some of the erratic behavior that manifests on occasion. Most of humanity, for instance, would be petrified at physical nakedness. It's because we're full of imperfections physically. Our bodies don't hold up well to examination. But 100% of us cannot handle spiritual nakedness. As soon as Adam and Eve went independent and ate the forbidden fruit, they needed clothing. And the reason they needed clothing was because the death process had begun in their bodies. They needed spiritual clothing because the same thing occurred in their souls. Now, with that kind of plight, that's the plight of every human being. We want to be known because we're built for intimacy, but on the other side, we're afraid of being known because of the imperfections of our own fallen lives. What happens is we become a bundle of paradoxes as we begin to maneuver our way relationally through this world. You know, we bypass the hard stuff and try to satisfy our deepest needs at times uh, by connecting on a physical level alone. Physical intimacy without commitment is exploitation, and exploitation leads both parties feeling more hardened and more lonely. And so we just try it again with somebody else. Uh, You know, we just bypass the hard stuff. That's the main thing. You know, the Bible tells us, 
on the last day that there will be two kinds of people. Revelation 6 tells us that when some people meet God, they'll cry out for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. Cover us, hide us from he who sits on the throne. We're told about a second group in Isaiah 61. They'll say, I will rejoice in the Lord. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. See, on the last day, we're either going to be known in our nakedness, like the characters in Sartre's play, and it will be hell, or we're going to find our nakedness has been covered by the beauty of Christ's righteousness, and it will be heaven. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and they know me. You know, one of the things I, I should add here is that, you know, the explosion of sex outside of marriage today in our own culture is evidence in our desire for intimacy. But the emotional and spiritual intimacy is just too doggone risky. It demands too much commitment. And so what happens is that we bypass the hard stuff and try to satisfy our deepest needs of our soul by connecting on the physical level alone. And the physical intimacy without commitment, again, is exploitation, and at least both parties feeling more hardened and lonely than ever. So we end up trying it again with somebody else, and it keeps on not working. Verse 14, I am the new, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. You know, our imaginations oftentimes will crack under the strain of that truth. The souls of the Father and the Son have been wrapped up in each other for all of eternity. And there's an ocean of joy, an unmitigated delight in the Father and the Son. Now, the implied message is this. When you trust Jesus as your shepherd, the Father will know you in the same way that he knows the Son. He will regard you with the same kind of honor that he gives his Son. Now consider this. The Father knows us through and through, and yet he loves us, and that's amazing. Apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be fully known as hell, But the work of the Holy Spirit in us means that being fully known is heaven. And we must answer the question, how am I I going to be known on the last day? How are you going to be known on that last day? You know, we will be known. There's no question about that. And to be known is our greatest desire. But to be known without grace is our greatest fear. So, the true shepherd knows us completely. Then there's a second point. The true shepherd loves you fully. And the essence of love is giving, and Christ has given you everything. Verse 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, and these are the words of Christ. 
For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Let me offer a couple of human examples of people in the Bible that were regarded as great shepherds. One of them would be Jacob in the book of Genesis. And Jacob was a shepherd and he worked for his father-in-law Laban. And Jacob says to Laban, if I lose any of your sheep as a shepherd, I will recompense you. In other words, he would be responsible, but that was the end of the commitment. That was as far as he would go. David was another famous shepherd who wrote the shepherd's psalm in Psalm 23. And when a lion and a bear took some of the sheep, he actually went out and killed the lion and the bear, risking his life. But David certainly wouldn't voluntarily give up his life for the sake of the sheep. He would risk it, but he wouldn't voluntarily give it up. Now consider the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the uniqueness of Jesus is that he willingly laid down his life for his people, for his sheep, if you please. And he, didn't, he did it voluntarily. It wasn't a suicide mission. It was simply the will of the Father for him to do that. A couple of observations about Jesus' death. First, Jesus' death was voluntary. Uh, Death is an enemy, but it can only have its claim upon a sinner. And a sinner in the broadest sense is simply one who's hijacked his or her life and says, this is all me. It's all about me. I am my own. I have no other God. The Bible makes it clear that we're created by God and we belong to God. And the essence of sin, in other words, would be running off with something that isn't ours and then claiming sovereignty over it. We've all done that. And therefore, death has a claim on us. We don't enter into death voluntarily. Death is an enemy that forcefully takes us. Secularism contends that death is natural. It's simply the next stage of growth. It's nothing to fear. But deep down inside, we all know that that's not true. And that's why we fight so hard in order to live. You know, I don't know for sure, but as a a pastor for so many years now, I've probably done somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 memorial services. In each one of those memorial services, I remind those in attendance that death is always an intrusion of the life that we love. You see, the message of the Bible is consistent with our own intuition about death itself. Death is an enemy. It's out to get you. It's out to get me. And only Jesus entered death without being a victim by it. So death had no claim on Jesus, of course, because Jesus had no sin. And he says, no one can take my life from me. I give it up. I lay it down on my own accord. Now this was, so there was an inherent voluntariness to his death. Second thing about Jesus' death is that it was beyond our own human imagination. 
You see, physical death is the radical separation of the soul from the body. Uh, They're just literally ripped apart. They no longer cohere. They're no longer a unit. When we talk about spiritual death, on the other hand, it's the separation of the soul from God. The separation is partial while you're here on earth. The image of God is in all people. Whether we know God or not, whether we love God or not, whether we hate God or not, the image of God is in all people. And that allows people to create and to love and to be good neighbors and wonderful citizens, but at the same time not believe in God. So in common grace, God is like the sunshine. He just gives human beings warmth and tenderness, the ability to be civil and live well. But when we die, and if we die without Christ, the separation of our soul uh, from God will be complete. And it results in a total breakdown of the beauty of our humanity. You see, for all eternity, there's no capacity for showing love or experiencing joy or doing acts of kindness. All of those graces are forever removed, and the only thing left will be anger and the gnashing of teeth is what Revelation describes. You see, Jesus went into hell and experienced spiritual disintegration for us, actually. He was literally cut off from the Father. And I absolutely don't know how it's possible for the triune God to be cut off from one another. There's some people that say it can't happen that way. God is a unit, even though there's three persons. But he seemed to be cut off from the Father at that particular time as he was experiencing spiritual disintegration for us. His humanity was plunged into outer darkness. So Jesus is the only one in all of human history and will be the only one who went to hell without being angry. You know, in Herman Melville's epic work, Moby Dick, Captain Ahab said this, From hell's heart I stabbed thee. And Jesus went ahead and said, From hell's heart I love thee. So Jesus is loving the Father while being rejected by the Father as he bore our sin. See, when Jesus hung there, what happened is, and I've shared this with you before, but the Father graciously took the sin of all people, and he placed it on Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for that sin. But having your sin forgiven is not enough to get you a ticket to heaven. There's a second transaction that took place, and that is Jesus, or the Father, took all of Jesus' righteousness, the perfect life that he lived on earth, And he took that right living and imputed it to us. So that in other words, when God looks at you, having been given the righteousness of Christ, he sees absolute perfection, which is something we'll never be able to comprehend. We just have to believe it. But anyway, when Jesus went to that cross, he broke the claim that death 
had on us. We're no longer bound by our three score and 10. We're no longer addicted to absolute safety and security on earth. We can live life with a measure of abandonment simply because Christ has taken care of all of the stuff. He is, knows us completely. He loves us fully. And that if, we, if we just keep that in our own mind, we'll have no problem living a life of awe and honor for the Lord. You know, we oftentimes will cry out, you know, we'll, we'll be able to cry out, I should say, oh, death, where is your sting? And oh, death, where is your victory? Because the, the, the shepherd that we have sent a defiant letter to sin and death on our behalf, and he did it so that we can have eternal life, so that we who are completely known will be forever and fully loved by that. And really, the reason we meet here each week is not just to learn a little bit of theology. It's just to be reminded of, of who Christ is, what he has done for us, and how we can live in light of the glory that he, in fact, has given to us. And we want to close our, our service today appropriately by coming to the Lord's table. And uh, our servants who are going to be helping us with this, the worship team can come back up. And I'm going to invite you when the elements come passing by to go ahead and take the bread and then take the cup and hold them both and then we'll take them together when everyone is.